Um, you, you revealed these things to us willingly and, and decided that these were things that we ought to know. And so we find value in them, Lord. We recognize that these just aren't stories that we heard at church at, a, at another time or another age. These aren't just stories to get points across, Lord. These are real accounts and that there are things in them that are, were true then and are true today and are for us today. And I thank you that in studying these things, Holy Spirit, you would just be speaking and revealing to us the truth. You would be illuminating revelation to us about um, things that are applicable in our life today, that this isn't just a look back at somebody who lived in another time, but it's for us and it's for today. So I praise you for that, and we're just thankful tonight that as we study, we're gleaning, we are learning, we are, we are having revelation come as we approach this study with open hearts and, and ears to hear, eyes to see. We're just ready to receive all that you have for us this evening, Lord. And so we thank you that we are in a position to receive. We have an expectation, and so for that, we just thank you, Lord, knowing that you're faithful, knowing that you're always speaking, always revealing, always teaching. Lord, we thank you for that, and we expect it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So, again, I know we've got a couple more faces here. Welcome, and anybody joining us online, we want to welcome you, too. We're glad you're with us. Tonight's lesson, Jacob's family grows. This is the next step in the descendants, the lineage through which God had said he was going to use to bring his promise to pass through this family. He had said that they would multiply into a, a family with uh, descendants more numerous than the stars in heaven and the sands on the seashore. Um, God said about this family and about this lineage that he would um, bless the whole world through them. And so... Jacob, we, we saw in the last couple weeks, um, both in Esau's despising of, of the blessing and also in Jacob's kind of underhanded, deceptive approach with his mother to stealing uh, blessing, blessing and birthright, the two elements at play there. Um, we saw how things were starting to come together in such a way where what God had spoken over the twins, Jacob and Esau, when they were um, still to be born, um, God had said that the older would serve the younger. And we're seeing this come to be uh, where we left off last week. You know, we talked about how um, two weeks ago Jacob had stolen the birthright, or, or he, Esau had willingly sold him the birthright. And then this last week we saw uh, Jacob tricked his father Isaac into giving him the blessing uh, which he had intended to give to Esau, the firstborn son. And so now we're at this point where Jacob has to figure out what to do next, and he's going to be sent on. Uh, what we'll see tonight is he's going to be sent on to another land and into another stage of life. And in this, we're going to see. God at work. We're also going to see, like we talked about last week, some of the consequence of sin and, and even some ideas that the world recognizes, but we want to look at them through a scriptural lens. So I believe this is going to be an encouraging lesson tonight. Our focus is Isaac and Rebekah sent Jacob to Rebekah's brother Laban for safety and to find a wife. Laban tricked Jacob by giving him Leah to marry first, but Jacob worked another seven years to marry Rachel too. God bless Jacob with many children. So let's start tonight by getting into the word in Genesis um, chapter 28, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see what happens now that Jacob um, is, is on Esau's hit list. His brother is mad. He's angry to the point that he's ready to satisfy his anger by killing his brother. We know that Rebecca doesn't want this to happen because we saw last week that according to, uh, I think it's Genesis 9, 5, if Esau were to kill his brother Isaac without this just cause, which would warrant murder, um, then, well, the result is Esau is going to die too. And so Rebecca's facing a circumstance where she would lose both sons if Esau murders Isaac. And so something has to be done. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as a wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And then 
that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, uh, beside the wives he had, Mahalathah, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran and came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So we're going to pause there and we'll come back and talk about the next element. But we want to recognize Jacob fleeing. Now in chapter 27 of Genesis, we had seen this element of him on the run from Esau. Esau is ready to kill him. Rebekah, his mother, wants him to get away um, to stay alive. She doesn't want to lose her sons. And then we see this other element at play that um, Isaac is aware of the fact that in the land of Canaan, well, what they have is marriage options or Canaanite women. And they've seen the effect that that had on Esau. Um, toward the end of chapter 27, Rebecca said that she just she didn't even want to be alive around these other two women that Esau had, had brought home. They were very displeasing um, to the family. And so there were really two elements at play for why Jacob needed to get out of the land of Canaan. Number one, he needed to get away so that he would stay alive. And number two, um, he needed to get away so that he could find a, a fitting wife to carry on this promise, to carry on um, the blessing of, of being the lineage through whom God would uh, bring the Savior and bring his plan to pass. And so we see kind of the practical layout of Jacob's fleeing from the land. And I've got it up here on the screen, a map tonight that, that shows uh, Beersheba all the way down on the bottom, uh, the, the southernmost starting point. That's that little black dot down there. And then up just a little way, the next dot is Bethel. And this is that place, we'll find out as we read on, that this is that place where Jacob stopped his first night. And so immediately after um, of tricking his father into getting the blessing and Esau is mad, he immediately flees to Haran. This is where he's headed for. And Haran is, it's all the way up there on the top and to the right. Um, just, it's, it's very far away. Uh, 550 miles is the estimation of the journey he was making. And he made it um, on foot. And so he immediately flees. And I did want to go back and look at what Isaac says to him as he's getting ready to leave. Um, he says a blessing over him, starting here in verse 3 and then continuing into verse 4. This is what Isaac says to Jacob as he goes. And what I recognize, you know, he had already gotten that blessing, um, which was meant for the firstborn. And, you know, in that blessing last week, we talked about how um, Isaac had spoken over him that he was going to be fruitful and he was going to have the fat of the land and he was going to have plenty of grain and plenty of wine. And blessed are those who bless you, cursed are those who curse you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a conqueror. You're going to be over your mother's sons. These are some of the things that have been spoken in that blessing. But here as he's getting ready to go, I think Isaac has finally realized that this is the son through whom the plan is going to happen. And this is what he speaks over him. He, do, he doesn't just say, you know, you're going you're gonna to have the goods of the land and you know, you're going to be the victorious one in this area. He says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you become a company of peoples. So this is part of that promise that we've talked about since Genesis 12 that it's going to be the descendants more multiple than the sand on the shore and the stars in the heavens. He says, may he give the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you. So that's an identifier too, that this blessing that's been passed on from Abraham to me is now being passed to you. You've got the mantle of the blessing that was promised to Abraham. This covenant that we've been talking about in here for the last two units, the blessing of Abraham, the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham, it's passing on now to Jacob. That you may take possession of the land. You know, there was a deed associated with this promise, associated with this covenant. And if we went back to Genesis 12, we see that when God tells Abraham to leave, and it's actually interesting, he tells him to leave Haran, and Haran is the place that they keep going back to to get the wives. And so when he instructs, when God instructs Abraham or Abram at that time to leave Haran and go, he says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to give you a land. There's going to be an inheritance for you. And so he's talking about the same thing, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And so this is that same promise that's been talked about all the way along. And because of that, well, because he had decided to, Isaac sends Jacob away and he goes and he's making his way up toward Haran. And so we see this same blessing. 
And here's a, that blessing summed up. Be fruitful and multiply. There would be a company of peoples. The blessing of Abraham and the possession of land. This is, this is confirming, this is reaffirming his father to him, speaking over him a blessing that you are going to take part in this blessing that has been promised to our family. It's, it's on you. You're going to be the one who takes it from here. And so we see him leaving with a word of promise, with a word of blessing, and with um, a, a covenant, with God's word to them that he can go back to sure of. You know, I think that that is interesting. It's something I've got highlighted. I, I don't know if I've got it right in here, but somewhere in my notes, I, I had written out, he left without any possessions, but with a word from God. You know, he didn't, and we're going to see it as we read on here, he did not, clearly he didn't have a lot of stuff with him. I mean, the fact that he grabs a rock for a pillow. Look, I've been to lots of youth events where I forgot a pillow, and I'll tell you, a rock is not the first choice of pillow, okay? You can find something else. If, if I brought a set of clothes, I'm putting the sweatshirt under my head to sleep on that. If I've got to change a shirt, like I'm at least going to roll that over the rock and sleep on that. It's just as he rolls a rock under his head, that indicates to me that he was running fast, he was running light, he was running without any possessions, totally unprepared. And so he wasn't going with the company of camels that Abraham sent his servant with. He, it was just a man with a mission and a word from God. And that was enough. A man with a word from the Lord, and he, he, was, he was on to the next place. He's carrying this promise that God had given. And so... He's fleeing to Haran. I, I mentioned it a minute ago. Same place that Abraham had heard God tell him to leave, to flee from his, or to leave his family, um, to go from this country that he was familiar with into the promise. And here's Jacob heading back um, to get the wife that is going to be part of this plan. And so um, the first night, I'm going to go back to our map because I want to highlight here, just kind of show you the, the realness of it. And I love that we get all the locations. It doesn't just say that, you know, Jacob stopped somewhere and put a rock out i mean it tells us where the place was and it's recorded through history where these places were uh, from beersheba which is that one on the furthest point south up to bethel which is that next one it's about 65 miles it's about 65 miles and it's it's hilly terrain i think it's like almost a thousand feet of incline i mean it's like you're going from sea level to mountain level um, over these 50 miles and it says that um, well if we go back and read it in verse 11, he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, which tells me that Jacob ran 65 miles in a day trying to flee from his brother. I mean, he had to have been terrified. I, I could not imagine running that far, that fast. I can't see myself doing it, but Jacob is here. It says that night he stops in this place, Bethel. And so Again, that's just an indication to me that he left without any possessions and he was going quick, he was going fast. I mean, he didn't have time to pack up his tent and uh, you know put a camel together. I mean, he had to go um, because he needed to get away from his murderous brother and he needed to get away from those Canaanite women. And so he's fleeing into this, this place where he's going to find a wife. Um, and like I said, he had a blessing and a promise. And I was going to mention this tonight. It reminds me a lot of when Jesus sent the 12 disciples to go and minister with, without him. He sent them and he, he said, don't take any possessions with you. Don't take food. Don't take an extra cloak. Just go and you're going to be provided for along your way because I'm the one sending you. You've got my word to go and fulfill this thing. I'm going to take care of you along the way. And that's in Luke 9 if you want to go and read about that later. I just love that God's consistent in that. That way yeah if, if he's taken off without all of his stuff he's going to be all right because he's got a word from the lord and he's on a mission i want you to take confidence in that tonight if you've got a word from god you don't have to have all the plans made and everything figured out just start running just start running towards what god has for you because he's going to provide along the way amen and so the, the other thing I want to mention here is about this whole, this whole women issue, you know, and this is why one of the reasons he's going to Haran is he needs to find a suitable wife um, to, to be part of this blessing and this agreement and this promise. And so, you know, the, the women that Esau had, had taken home were obviously not doing it for his parents because here he is, both parents, even Isaac, who likes Esau, or he likes Esau uh, at least he has liked him more, he's saying, you need to get away from these Canaanite women. You need to go find the right wife in Haran. 
And I just think it's interesting, you know, we're continuing to see every time Esau comes up, like he's just doing something wrong. Because here I see that Esau sees this interaction with Isaac, and Isaac is, you know, clearly saying to Jacob, you need to get away from these women because they're no good. Well, I, I mean, just imagine, you know, here's your dad saying, hey, that woman, these women that your brother married, you cannot end up with them. They are awful. And Obviously, Esau heard that. And so what does he do? He thinks, well, I need to go out and find someone that might make mom and dad happy. But what I see is, is Esau is like looking for a loophole. He knows that the, the locals aren't any good. And what he does is he, he goes and gets a wife from Ishmael, who you know, is closer uh, to family. He's not, Ishmael's not a Canaanite, but you know, that had been a, a part of the, the family that was really rejected. That was part of that line that God said, this isn't going to be the one, this isn't going to be the promise. And so he goes and gets one of Ishmael's daughters as a wife. And what I just see with that is, you know, we see Esau's character continuing rather than going, I mean, he could have gone to Haran too. I mean, he could have gone up there and gotten a wife that would have been right and, and good for the family, but he just pops over to Ishmael and, and gets one of them. And so I just wrote it out this way. Esau still can't figure it out. He's wanting to get the results without doing the right thing. He's trying to get the results. He's trying to, get, he's trying to please his father. I mean, he is totally after his father's approval, and, and he's not willing, I think it seems, to make this heart change. But luckily, you know, Jacob in a good way he he made the right choice he went up to Haran and you know he probably had a little extra motivation with the fact that his brother wanted to kill him but he was doing the right thing and and I believe this that even though he didn't get it perfect and we're going to see that you know with all these people they didn't get it perfect but I believe his heart was right he did go where he had been instructed to go he he left and he trusted God and we're going to read about that some tonight too in this dream that he's about to have but we see a difference in character through this story. And I think it's, you know, like I said, maybe two weeks ago when we talked about Esau despising the birthright, I'm really glad that it wasn't Esau. I'm really glad that that's not part of, you know, my spiritual, spiritual heritage is, is Esau, this guy who just, you know, didn't want to change the character. He just wanted to get the results. Character is important. Amen. I believe even if you don't get it all right, like we see with Jacob, he didn't get it all right. Abraham didn't get it all right. But I believe that their, their heart to serve God was right. And, and I believe that that's something God can work with. Let's go on tonight and, and read further about the dream that uh, Jacob has at Bethel. And so Genesis 28, we read verse 11. I'll start there again. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. That night. So he'd been running. He was tired. The sun had set. Taking one of the stones, because he didn't have any stuff, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of earth be blessed. Doesn't this sound like something we've read before? A couple times maybe? You know, it's this reaffirmation, something his father told him. And now God is, is through a dream speaking to Jacob, reaffirming it too. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. See, he didn't have any, so he needed that stuff. So that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. 
So I want to go back through this and, and unpack what we've read here about Jacob's dream, first of all, and then his response to the dream and to the Word of God. Both of these things are important, and both are things that we can look to for encouragement and, and apply New Testament truth and principle to it today. So we see the, the dream with the ladder, and maybe you've heard about Jacob's ladder before. Um, we want to talk just for a few minutes about what the ladder um, means. But before we do that, I want to just show you again that God is here confirming with Jacob what he had said to Abraham and then what had been passed on to Isaac. He says, your offspring. Well, first he says, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring, which is awesome because Jacob is laying in Israel. Bethel's in like the middle. Some people say it's like pretty close to the middle of the nation of Israel at, at this time in history. And so um, he's laying in the promise. He is laying in the land that has been um, committed and promised to him and his offspring. So he says, I'm going to give you this land. He says, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You know, that's, that's a new way to say it. We haven't heard it that way yet, but it's, it's kind of fallen right in line with the sand on the seashore and the stars in heaven. It's like more than we can count, more than we're going to be able to number up. You're going to have the offspring, descendants, more than all this, and they're going to spread all over. And through them, everyone on earth is going to be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That's part of this promise that's gone on too. Behold, I'm with you. I'll keep you. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll never leave you until I've done what I promised. So we've got this promise that God's going to take care of them. Um, it's just reaffirmed. And like we've said tonight, it's the same one that we've talked about since Genesis 12. And so then we come to, I want to talk for a minute about the ladder, like I mentioned. You know, the ladder, um, what it's representative of in this dream, you know, because it was a dream. We read that in the Word. So Jacob didn't just like wake up and look and he saw a ladder. Well, he's having a dream. And I, I believe, you know, um, I, I don't think angels need a ladder to get up and down from heaven to earth. You know, I, I'm not saying that it couldn't be, but I don't think they do. Um, so I don't think it was supposed to be a physical ladder. I think that was a way that God was showing Jacob something that he could understand. Because um, to see a ladder, and you know, it's, it's representative of a connection point between heaven and earth. And that's really what I want to get to tonight. Um, this ladder and the fact that these angels were going up and down it, it, it is representative of God's involvement on earth. It's representative of a connection between heaven and earth. Um, you know, angels, something to mention about them is they are seen as ministers and messengers throughout the word. And so they are like the you know, the agents of God. They're the ones that get sent out to go and, and speak. You know, sometimes God may, like we've seen through Genesis, sometimes God just has talked to people, and that still happens today. But sometimes it's angels. You know, we saw we see that in the New Testament too. We know that Mary and Joseph, they both got visited by an angel, and they were talked to about God's plan. And so there's a messaging aspect that we know about angels. I want us to go to Hebrews 1.14 quick and look at a scripture about angels there referencing them it says are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation ministry i mean ministry can can look a lot of different ways that used to minister i mean it, it is to do something in service of another that that would be one definition for it to do something in service of another um on god's behalf i mean uh, minister it's not just a person who you know puts on the black and the little collar or stands up here and preaches on a sunday or a wednesday a minister is a is a person in service on God's behalf. And so angels, you know, they're, they're ministers. They are in service on God's behalf. And we know um, that, that angels, they, they do various things um, for God. I, I preached a little mini series on that back in December. I'm sure that's on the website. If you wanted to go back and look at some of the things we see angels doing through the word, I don't want to spend too much time there tonight, but, but if we just take this away from this dream that Jacob has, what we can see is God's involved. And, and heaven and earth are not totally disconnected. God is present and working on the earth. God is speaking, send, you know, he's messaging to people. He is ministering to people. The fact that angels are moving, um, that's an indication of God's working on the earth. It's also interesting that this ladder and this dream takes place at Bethel in Israel, this place which God identifies to Jacob as being um, the land which he will inherit. Two of the things um, that are said about it, I think it's in the next set of scriptures here. 
Maybe it's not. Where is it here? He dreamed, behold, there was a ladder. The top of it reached heaven. And behold, the angels were ascending and descending upon it. I'm looking for the place, and I should have written down the reference, but it talks about how this place is the, uh, the gate. This place is the house of God and the gate to heaven. There it is in 17. Yep. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. You know, he was... I think seeing the latter was an indication God is, is active. God is involved. There is a connection um, between heaven and earth. And the fact that it happened in Israel, I believe, is an indication that Israel was going to be the nation and the land and, and even a physical place in the world through whom the, the gateway into heaven, Jesus, would come, through whom the house of God would be established first, and then from there would go out um, into all the world, like, like God said to Jacob right here about how they're going to go to the north, south, east, and west. I mean, he talks about how from this place, you know, every, all the families on the world are going to be blessed. But it's going to come through this place. And so I think the fact that Jacob had this dream, you know, he traveled to different places and the family had been all over the region. But it was in this place that there was this, this revelation that God is active. God is involved. God is moving. God is, you know, there's ministering spirits, angels coming forth and going up and back and forth from heaven. And so um, we see this this identifying that Israel is going to be the house of God, the place where God you know builds his his place on earth, and that would be true through the Old Testament with the temple in a physical location. Uh, I mean, then it says this is the gate of heaven. We know that Israel um, is is the land, it is the nation, it's the people through whom Jesus the the door. You know, we talked about around the time of the study in the ark how there was one door of salvation on the ark, right? Well, we've got one door of salvation today, and his name's Jesus. Amen. And so this door, this gate of heaven, was going to come here in Israel and through Israel. And so I want us to look at um, John 1. I'll just give you a couple scriptures that reference our door, our gate, our connection point with heaven. Because that's what the ladder, again, it's what it represents is like a connection um, and, and God's involvement in earth. He's not just far off, distant in heaven and uninvolved in the affairs of the world. We've seen all through Genesis that he is active and involved in the things that are going on here. John 1, 49 through 51 Nathaniel answered him, talking to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And, and the reason that he is identifying this is Nathaniel had not believed that he was the Messiah until he got this word about how Jesus, you know, when he wasn't physically around, he knew that he was sitting under this fig tree. And so it was like a, you know, it was a word of, it was a word of knowledge. And he speaks this out to Nathaniel. And then he says, oh, well, you couldn't have known that because you weren't around. So you, you must be who you say you are. You know, here it is confirmed. So he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the ladder. Let's put that in some other words tonight. I'm the connection. I'm, I'm God's touching point with the earth. I'm, I'm the gate of heaven. Amen. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, I'm the connection point. I'm the involvement on earth. I wrote it like this. Christ is our connection. Don't you know that tonight? Christ is our connection. Another scripture in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one, one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one go-between. I mean, that's what a ladder is. Don't you know that? It's just a go-between one level and another level. I can't get up to the loft until I climb up the ladder. Well, I, I, can't, I can't have heaven until I get in with Christ. There's one mediator. There's one in-between. There is one touching point. There's one gate. There's one door. There's one way. Jesus is it. Amen. And so we know this God is involved. And we know that well, he's identifying it here in the Old Testament with this dream of a ladder, but we know it today because of Jesus. Jesus is God's identifying his connection with us, his reaching out, his sending um, ministry to us. Jesus is, is the involvement. Jesus is the connection. And so, and I was just thinking about, you know, going to the ladder, just this idea of, of knowing where to go to get heaven involved. And do I go there? 
you know, I wrote, I wrote it down like this. You know, God, he is desiring to be involved. He's made a way to be involved by providing Christ as this in-between, this, this ladder. But do I get heaven involved? You know, do, do I look to the ladder to say it that way? Do I look to Christ? Because he's present, he's available, he's made himself an option. And so I don't, I'm not stuck here without a, an opportunity to access heaven. The ladder is, is open, you know, to say it like that. You know, I'm, I'm just picturing like a little closed area sign. Have you ever been to like a, a museum or somewhere where they've got an area closed off? Or maybe you go to the mall and you want to go into a store and then it's closed so you can't go in. Well, that's not the way that heaven is to us. It's open. The, the access point, the door, the gate, the ladder, it's open. It's Christ. And so if we go to him, well, what we're doing is accessing heaven. And I don't, I mean, I'm just telling you for me, I don't always look at it like that. I don't always look at time with Christ, time in the word, time in prayer. I don't always take that with the weight that I probably should, which is that I'm accessing heaven in this moment. I mean, that's no small thing. That's no little thing that God has, number one, made it available and made it personal and it's an option all the time. I mean, G Jesus is alive, isn't he? Didn't we celebrate that this last Sunday? And so he hasn't gone anywhere. We can still access him. I mean, accessing heaven. Amen. That is amazing. You know, we, we even read about it in the Old Testament like this. I mean, I, I know I've been fascinated. Oh, Jacob's ladder. Let's talk about that. You know, accessing heaven and angels coming up and down. That's Jesus. Amen. So if I'm going to Jesus, I am... I'm at the ladder. Yeah. I'm at the point of supply. I'm at the point of connection. I'm at the point of hearing. I mean, we're talking about ministry and message coming up and down, right? Yeah. If I want the message, I need to go to the ladder. Right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's where the message is coming up and down. If I, if I need the ministry, I got to go to the ladder. Man, that's what we should have titled tonight. Go to the ladder. Right. Get, to the, get to the access point. I mean, if I need something, if, if I need to get on the internet and find some information, I have to go to an access point. Now, there's a whole lot of those today. I can access it in my phone in my pocket or the computer over there or probably off a TV. But, like, I have to go to a point that has connection. Well, what's our connection point to heaven? There's only one, and it's Jesus. And so any other gate, any other person, any other thing that we would go to to look for answers from heaven other than Christ is wrong. It's wrong. We've got to go to Christ. He is the, the, say that with me, the, the access point to heaven. And he's available to you and me. And so that's good news. So upon waking up, you know, Jacob is now aware, like we are, that he's got access to heaven. Amen? And, and we see that too in what God had told him. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to provide for you. This land is for you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. I mean, he's got the promise just like we've got the promise. He's got a word from God that he can stand on just like we've got a word from God that we can stand on. And he's got the access point. He's, it's been revealed to him that he's not on his own. There is, there is a, a back and forth, an involvement of heaven in his life and that's true for us because we've got christ and he is god's involvement in our life and so upon waking up jacob recognizes god's confirmation of promise and blessing and he recognizes too i didn't put this in there but the the provision of promise and blessing and the the access like i've been saying of promise and blessing he sets the stone up of his rest up as a place of worship and recognition to God. And he consecrates. What's that mean? It, it, it's like to say he committed himself to God. And we see that in what he says. He prays to God and he says, I will do these things that you've said. I'm going to go where you send me. I'm going to do what you've asked me. That's consecration. It's saying, Lord, I'm in. You know, when Jesus consecrated himself in the garden, he's saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. You know, I'm in. I'm going to do it. Yes, all of me. Tell me what you want. I'm in. That's, that's consecration. And so... Not only does he recognize and worship God for what God has done and is doing, but he consecrates himself to God, saying that he will depend upon and follow God. That, that's consecration for you. I am dependent on you. I am following you, Lord. I am yours. You are mine. This is consecration for us. And so Jacob, he does this. He prays this. And, um, you know, as we've said along, he probably didn't have any stuff with him. And so he may not have had an option. And, you know, though we should consecrate ourselves regardless of if we've got an option or not, sometimes not having anything is the thing that pushes you to consecration. 
and just to be real with you, when you're out of every other option, that's the point sometimes where you finally say, okay, God, I've tried it my way and it didn't work, and so I'm going to need your help here. You know, okay, I'll do what you said, because it's not working this other way. And it's so much better if we don't have to go through trying and spending and giving the other ways. You know, it makes me think of the woman with the issue of blood. She had tried every other option. But what changed it? Well, the ladder, the access point of heaven. That's what changed it. And so you could try every other thing, but really you ought to just consecrate yourself and go to God and say, I'm yours, you're mine. I'm dependent on you. I'm following you. Just just leave me. Just say it and, and I'm in. I'm in. That's the best place to be. That's the best place to go. So he probably didn't have the means to protect or provide for himself and he was going to be relying on God for that. And, and I love too that in this place of having nothing, what he says to God is, everything you bless me with, I'm going to give you a tenth. Everything that we, I come up into from here, it's going to be because of you, God, because I'm all in. And so it's, it's not me, it's not my increase. You're the multiplier, you're the grower, you're the increaser. And I'm going, to give, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you bless me with. And I recognize, he's saying this too, I recognize that everything I increase into from this point on out is not based on what I'm about to do, but based on what you're doing in me and through me. And because you're the blesser, it's yours anyway, so I'm going to give it. Just a little lesson on tithing here. You know, he commits to tithing because he recognizes it's, it's all God anyways. And so if, if God's got the supply, well, he, he's taking care of that tenth. The tenth isn't a concern when he knows that God is the protector and the provider. Don't we know that about God? He's our protector and our provider. Amen. So he has the word. I, I just, I love this whole, this whole point. Jacob's got the word, but none of the goods. So he gets to trust God to provide, protect, and bless. And, and you know, I just, it strikes me that sometimes for folks it can be easiest to rely on God to give protection, provision, and blessing when I can't get it another way. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the danger, I guess, of richness is that you end up trusting in yourself. Well, I, I don't, you know, if God chooses to protect me, that's fine. But if he doesn't, we'll just rebuild. You know, if, if God chooses to provide for me and does something extra, that'd be great. But if not, I mean, we're okay. I mean, you're, you're missing the blessing of God if, if you're content with yourself. And so I, I, I just love seeing this that with Jacob. I mean, he's got the promise of inheriting a whole nation. I mean, if you and I had that, I, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good if I've got a promise of inheriting a whole nation. But it's the recognition that it's totally dependent on God, too. You know, Abraham and Isaac, they, they, weren't, they weren't poor. I mean, they were, they were blessed. They were wealthy, and it was because of God's blessing upon them. And so Jacob has seen this. He's seen God's blessing. He's seen that God is faithful to do what he said. But he recognizes that it is totally in, in dependence on God, that it's not him, it's not going to be his ability, but God's. And so um, I just I love seeing that through this dream, you know, we get this interaction again where God affirms his word to Jacob and Jacob chooses to trust totally in him. I, I think this is how the, you know, the cause effect, the, the offering and response with God ought to be. When he gives his word, we ought to say, yes, I'm in. Amen. You know, this is, this is what we see with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who, you know, have been identified he is their God. That's what he said even in this dream that I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. And so uh, the response is, God gives his word, and they say yes. God gives his word, they believe it. God gives his word, they trust it. Not to say they never faltered, because we saw them in Egypt, and we saw them you know, with King Abimelech. We know that they didn't always get it quite right. But by and large, they trusted. They believed. They had faith, and they stood on the word. And so this ought to be our response with the word, too. We get the word, we say yes, amen. Let's look at Jacob's works now. Going on in our account here, we're into, into Genesis 29. So he's got the dream. You know, he goes on from there, gets to Haran, and it says, Then Jacob went on his journey, came to the land of the people of the east. That's Haran. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep laying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. 
the stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone, shepherds, plural, would roll the stone away from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, it, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it's still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Which is awesome because she was she was ambitious. She was a working lady. I mean, she wasn't just you know relaxing in her father's house. I mean, she's out working. So Rachel's kind of a special special lady, as we're going to find out for Jacob. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. You know, this makes me think, when I was a youth pastor, one of my favorite things to watch is at like special events when we had to set up chairs. Though The youth boys always had a young lady they were trying to impress and you would not believe how many chairs they could fit on their arms okay they would, they're showing off their ability to move chairs and and i kind of think this is what jacob might be doing here he sees rachel coming up and this large boulder that it takes many shepherds to move he's pushing it off the well and i don't know maybe that wasn't the purpose but that's what i just see with this here's a guy who's wanting to impress this amazing young woman rachel and so he moves the stone off says, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. So that's kind of an interesting first impression. You know, you roll the stone and then you kiss her and then you start crying. <laughs> and I'm sure they were tears of joy, but still, just kind of a strange first impression. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. So Laban must, must think good of Jacob. I mean, he's saying, You're my bone. You're my, you are my family. You're my brother. You know, you're, you were together in this thing. You, you'd think they'd have a great relationship. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And he had already kissed her, and she was a shepherdess. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so that kind of seems like he has agreed to the terms now. He said, okay, you know, this, this is going to be the best thing to do. I don't want to give her to one of these other guys. I'll give her to you. So stay with me and work and, you know, we'll, we'll make this deal happen. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. For Rachel, they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. That's so sweet. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Jacob went into her. And it says in parentheses here, Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. But in the morning, behold, it was Leah. It was Leah, not Rachel. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived him? And so Laban gives just the silliest excuse. It's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Oh, I couldn't do it. They, the, the nation wouldn't let me. Complete the week of this one and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Man, it really stinks to get tricked like that, huh? Jacob doesn't know anything about trickery, does he? 
Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. So he's 14 years in, and he got not one but two wives, which he didn't really bargain for. But, uh, you know, we see, we see just some different elements at play with this. Uh, the first thing, you know, I mentioned while we read through how Laban, you know, when they first have this, this first talk, Laban's saying, oh, you're my family, you're my bone, you're my flesh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it right with you, you know, I'm going to treat you right. And so they make this agreement, Jacob's going to work these seven years and get Laban's daughter, Rachel. Um, and, you know, we talk about the time of that, seven years for one daughter and then seven years for another. Um, as we've said all along, you know, Jacob, he didn't really have anything at this point, didn't have stuff. If we went back and, and talked about Abraham sending his servant to go and um, bring a wife, which would be Rebecca, back for Isaac, what we noticed is the servant took a whole bunch of camels full of stuff with him, and then he gave those to the family as a dowry payment. Well, Jacob shows up, probably, you know, same clothes he's wearing the whole 550-mile journey, probably a little, little raggedy. You know, he's this guy who moves a stone, and then here he is in Laban's house saying, I want to marry your daughter. All right, and he doesn't have any goods to give. He doesn't have anything to show. He just says, you know, I'll, I can work. You know, put me in the field. I'll, I'll get some chores done for you. You know, what's it going to take? And so they make this deal. Really, that time, that seven years, would have been a dowry payment. Not in goods, but in time and services. So um, instead of giving possessions, he gave time and work as a payment for the daughter. Of course, we know how it ends there. You know, the big dramatic... Oh no! It was it was Leah, not Rachel. You wake and, and I don't understand how that happened to Jacob. I mean, you spend all night with her, and you wake up in the morning, and that's when you realize it was the other sister. I mean, come on, man. You know he probably should have known before, but anyway, he he finds out that he got the wrong sister of the two, and and um, I mean, can't change it. You know they're married now. They have they have become one and so they're going to stay one um, but you know he he talks to Laban about getting the other daughter and there's another agreement another seven years um, so this is the point where we see really Jacob's sin coming back to get him because that same thing he did to his father and really a similar thing to what he did to his brother um, he, he's feeling that same effect in his life now He's feeling the effect of deception and lies. You know, we, we mentioned how Laban, he gives this really weak excuse for his lie. I mean, he tries to justify what he did. And, you know, there's, we said it last week, too. You, you, you can't justify sin. You know, sin is sin. Amen? I mean, just saying some re, weak reason. You know, oh, well, it ended good. Or in Laban's case, oh, this is just the way we do it around here. I mean, it's still a lie. It's still sin. It's still deceptive. And it still causes problems. You know, the other thing I know about this, which I haven't always thought of it, but Leah's a willing participant in this too. And she's at sin as well. She's just like Jacob and his mother Rebecca went in together to deceive Isaac. Well, Leah and Laban went in together to deceive Jacob. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, Leah was, she was probably thinking, well, here's my sister about to get married and I don't have a man that wants to marry me. So yeah, I'm in. Let's, let's get me married one way or another. And so she's a willing participant, and, and what we're going to see is it turns out real poorly for her, too, because she's unloved compared to her sister Rachel, which I don't imagine she thought it would go this way. She's probably mad at her dad when Laban starts saying, well, just keep working for another seven years, and then I'll give you the other one, too. Leah's probably thinking, Dad, that's not what we agreed to at all. I don't know if she thought that, but... But, you know, it comes back to, to be hard for her, too, because now she's in an unloving uh, marriage. And, and that's, that's a difficult thing to live with. You know, the resolution that, that Laban says is, well, just give Leah her week, which would have been like a honeymoon kind of thing. You know, they're, they're married, and so they spend a week together, not, not out doing other things, but just being one together. And so Laban says, give Leah her week, and then I'll give you Rachel, um, and you guys can be married, and then you just stay here and keep working for another seven years. And so Jacob does that. He ends up with both. I don't have time to go there tonight, but Genesis 29, 31, from here through the next chapter in verse 24, and I've got those references on here, you see the, the, the 
bearing of children um, between these sisters and then the two servants that are mentioned. Um, we know that in the end there would be 12 um, children uh, of Jacob, well, 12 sons of Jacob that we also know about a, a daughter named uh, Dina. There was an incident with her that's, that's found later on in Genesis. But um, I'll give you the breakdown quickly here uh, tonight. His 12 sons went in this order. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah were all born in a row to Leah. And then Jude, um, sorry, Dan and Naphtali were born to Rachel's servant, Billah. And then Gad and Asher were born to Leah's servant, Zilpha. Which, like, you see the back and forth here. It's like she has some kids and then Rachel can't get pregnant. So she has her servant have some kids so that she's keeping up with the total of children. So that Isaac, or I'm sorry, Jacob will still be happy with her. But then Leah sees that Rebecca, or I'm sorry, Rachel's servant, so many names. Leah sees that Rachel's servant is catching up with these children, and so she goes and gets her servant so that she'll have more children that are under her name. And so there's like it's like a race of how many kids can each one have under their name. And so Leah's servant has Gad and Asher, and then Leah has another two kids, Issachar and Zebulon. And then finally, at the end of that, Rachel finally um, has Joseph first, and then Benjamin later. And so 12, 12 children, which would be the 12 tribes of Israel, we just we see this contention. This is one of the things I want to point out tonight because what we're going to talk about next with our apologetics is one of those topics you don't always hear in church, but polygamy is one of the things we're going to go over tonight because this is, I mean, it's a real thing that people believe is okay. And I know this sounds crazy, but there's people that will go to the Bible to justify doing it. They'll say, well, they did it in the Old Testament, so it must be okay. So we're going to talk about why that doesn't work, why that's not a a firm scriptural um, belief to hold. But we see through this, you know, the back and forth. Leah has kids. The servant has kids. Leah's servant has kids. Leah has kids. Rachel has some kids. There's a contention. And and really what it comes down to is, is a competition for love which is one of the things we're going to talk about in this next section with polygamy so we've got about six minutes left let's let's go into uh this topic of polygamy because we see it here especially with jacob i mean he's got two wives plus the servants which would be considered concubines in this point um and you know there's others throughout scripture i was just i was talking with someone before service about like solomon i mean he had 700 wives and 300 concubines so that's a thousand women i mean if we if we think jacob has a lot going on solomon was like on another level which was wrong of him because there's other commands in deuteronomy about not doing that um here's where i want to start with polygamy Its presence in the Bible does not make it condoned by God. That's where we got to start. You know, there's things that have happened throughout time. Just because they're happening doesn't mean that they're right. Just because they're happening doesn't mean that it's God's plan, God's best, God's will. We're going to see a scripture about that in Mark 10 here in just a minute. At this point in history, um, polygamy was something that had not yet uh, been instructed or commanded against by God. But if we read on in the Bible, and we're going to read a couple verses about it tonight, um, it would be it would be spoken against in the Mosaic Law and in the New Testament. Here's what we see: uh, just the the problem with polygamy, and, and it's a sinful thing. It causes issues every single time we see it at play. We see it with Jacob. Um, I saw it with Abraham because he took Hagar the servant as a concubine, which isn't, you know, that the wife, the concubine, the servant, it, it's kind of a status within the house. And and concubine was like a step up from servant because now you're not just a servant, you're a servant with the guy's kids. And so you've got some some more acclaim, some more rights, and so it's kind of a stat status thing. And so even with Abraham, we see a little bit of this um, at play. There's other people, like I mentioned Solomon throughout the the Old Testament who had this happening in their life Um, in this case we see strife between the sisters the two wives that are involved i mean they they were obviously in contention with each other i mean i i I don't know what their relationship was like before i i would imagine that rachel probably didn't think highly of leah and leah probably didn't really like rachel just from the way the interactions go but here we see obvious contention it's like i'm jealous because she's having kids and i want kids and she's got kids and he likes her more he spends more time with her in fact in one case um 
Leia's son has these mandrakes, which is like a fruit, and she uses her son's mandrakes to buy Jacob's time one night so she can be with him instead of Rachel being with him. I mean, this is the relationship that they're, they're living in. You know, it's, it's not God's best. It's not God's plan. It's missing the mark. Um, you know, it's, it's a similar issue with what we saw um, regarding Sarah and Hagar. They like, I mean, they hated each other. There was strife. There was envy. There was jealousy. And, and you know, Sarah, she, she had such disdain for Hagar that once Isaac finally came around, she said, you need to get her out of here. Send her away. Well, Jacob couldn't do that because he was married to both of them. So there was no sending them away. He was, he was obligated and committed to both. Beyond that, what we see reading on, and we'll probably get to this more in two weeks when we talk about Joseph, but there was strife between the brothers. It wasn't just the sisters. The brothers had their little cliques. They, they did not all like each other. You know, the sons of Leah and Leah's concubines didn't like the sons of Rachel and Rachel's concubines. There was like this really strange family dynamic of it's us against you. It was divisive. You know, God's not a God of division. Not, not within the family. I mean, the family's going to be set apart and different than the world, but in the family, I mean, go read Corinthians about division. It's not a good thing. It's not a pleasant thing. I've only got two minutes, so I can't talk too much about division tonight, but I, I will tell you it is not God's plan. Strife, jealousy, it's not God's plan. And so here we see this family because of, well, polygamy, they're falling into something that's really not God's best. It's not God's um, plan for the family. Now God, like we said last week, God uses it. He works through it. But I don't believe that this is is God's best for there to be this strife and this jealousy and this divisiveness. You know, ultimately this would result in the loss for a long time of Joseph as one of Jacob's sons. You know, because of this polygamous relationship, he would end up losing his son to Egypt for many, many years. Because the brothers hated each other and they wanted to get rid of each other. So we see this, I mentioned it a minute ago, competition for love. You know, love is not something that's meant to be competed for, especially in a marriage relationship. Um, but these two were competing to earn Jacob's affection. Ephesians 5 verse 25 is in the Amplified is a, you know, really it's a command for the church. It's a command for Christians. It's written by Paul to the church. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jacob's not doing that. And, and you know, Leah and Rachel and Billa and Zilpha, they're not getting it. They're not a part of this loving relationship. And I, I put the Amplified translation in here because it, it leads or lends kind of another point to this issue of polygamy, which is it says husbands, which is, is a plural term, love your wives, which is another plural term. But it's talking about each husband is supposed to love their one wife. So do that. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring and selfish love, which means there's not more than one. You're not, you're not supposed to have, you know, two or three or four or five wives that you're, you know, trying to just get through life with. You're, you're supposed to, like it says right here, love your wife, seeking the highest good and surrounding her with caring, unselfish love, just like Christ did for us. Aren't you glad Christ doesn't have another church that splits his attention with you? I sure am. I, I'm, I'm glad that there's not someone else, some other, you know, group of people that maybe I should do what they're doing so that God will love me more. No, there's, there's just one, one love and one relationship. Us and Him, one church. Amen. This is how it's supposed to be in marriage. Because like right here in Ephesians 5, as Christ also loved the church. So we see just the obvious truth that polygamy is is not god's plan and it is not condoned by scripture in fact it is it is the opposite i believe it is sinful and it is pretty blatantly spoken against in scripture mark 10 verse 6 through 9 says but from the beginning of creation god made them male and female for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh not not the three shall become one flesh, or the four shall become, it's the two shall become one, so they're no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so, 
this is this is not God's plan. You just I mean just do the math with Mark ten, right? I mean just do the math, and you know there's not room for two or three um, in a marriage. You know three or four in a marriage. It's it's one husband, one wife. That's marriage, Amen. and that's Abundant Life Ministries' position. I mean, sad that we got to go there today, but it's the truth. One man, one woman, one husband, one wife. That's marriage by God's standard. Anything else is sinful and worldly. And, and it may be a temptation. I, yeah, it probably is because it's been a temptation for some people since the beginning. But I believe there's life and redemption and hope through that in Christ. There is an overcoming and a taking away from the power of sin in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so God's plan is one man, one woman, one husband, one wife. That's marriage. Amen. Hope you all agree with that tonight. I don't really have time to go into it much this evening, but I will just say a couple things about karma, which is the last point in your notes this evening. Karma, which is what, if some some people, if they read this story about Jacob, and, and we see here how, well, he gets that same deception that he once gave to his, his you know father, and to some extent his brother, he really didn't trick his brother he just took advantage of him Laban took advantage and he tricked him but it's it's some people would call it karma um, what we would see it in the word is is sowing and reaping and there is a difference between one and and the other because sowing and reaping involves a supplier of seed it involves God as a grower um, and, and it it takes into account the fact that it's not just whatever I do is whatever's going to come back. No, there is there is right and there's wrong. There is good and there is evil as established and judged by God. Karma doesn't have that. And so karma is, is this, it's a loose effort to try and explain a spiritual principle, a true governing principle of the world, sowing and reaping. It's, it's the world's attempt to explain that. They want to discredit God, but they can't. Because he is true, and he he did it first. He said it first. You know, I, I mean, before karma was ever an idea, sowing and reaping was established, and we do see that to an extent with Jacob tonight. Um, Proverbs eleven. I'm not going to read it, but eleven eighteen through twenty one. It talks about this process of sowing and reaping. It talks about righteousness. It talks about evil, which are judged and appointed and and defined by God. And because he has defined them, um, they're true. And, and they're not going to change. It's not going to be like, oh, you know, well, sometimes this is good, but sometimes it's bad. No, it's, it's, it's righteous or it's evil based on what God has said. And so karma doesn't have that. I will read Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. And that's, you know, to an extent what we're seeing with Jacob. He is reaping something that he sowed at, an, at another time. But there's one other element that is is a part of the system of sowing and reaping, a part of God's system that karma doesn't take into account, and that's mercy. And mercy is a wonderful thing. Luke six thirty six says, "Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful." I tell you what, Jacob, he encountered some difficulty. He he had some things that didn't go totally his way. He he had some consequence. He had some reaping, but he got mercy. He didn't get killed by his brother Esau. He didn't lose. He didn't have everything stolen or tricked away from him. Maybe he had to work a little bit longer. But I'll tell you, the man got mercy, and I believe that that was because God was with him, and God was keeping him, and God was providing for him. And you know, God worked even these things out for good, like it says in Romans eight twenty eight. God works things um, together for the good of those who love Him. Jacob's experiencing the mercy of God at play here because really, after his deception and his trickery and all of these things, I mean, he, he deserved more than what he got. Really, he did. But God's merciful. And God's blessing him. And God is good. And so, praise God, karma doesn't account for mercy, but God does. God is merciful. And so I'm grateful that we know the truth about it. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to be misled or deceived by worldly ideas. We can point to the truth. And you know, I, I think the karma thing, I just I like having it in here to talk about because there are probably a lot of people we know who believe that kind of thing. Maybe they don't think anything about the Bible and they don't see how the Bible is really applicable. Well, I would take, I, this is a great conversational starter. Hey, you th- oh, so you think karma is true, huh? Well, how about, how about sowing and reaping? What do you think about what the, what the Bible says about that? Because that was, that was first. 
What, what do you think about those unexplained times where somebody deserves something else and they don't get it? Where's karma then? Oh, so, so maybe there's you know a higher power, or they'd say something like that. Well, we know what the higher power is. It's God. Amen. Can you see how these, these are great conversation points? I mean, this is apologetics. This is how we talk through real world thoughts and bring people back to Scripture. I'm, I'm pleased that we can do that. Amen. Hey, let's close in prayer tonight. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for, again, the word, which is true. It's effective. It's encouraging, Lord. I'm encouraged tonight to know that we have a connection point with heaven, that Christ is our door, our gate. Christ is, is you reaching out and giving message, giving ministry, you, you reaching out to us. He is our mediator, like the word says, one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus. And so we thank you that Jesus is our mediator. He is our gate. He is our in-between. He is, Lord, our connection to heaven. And so we're thankful for that, and we receive him as such tonight. Lord, I thank you that just like Jacob here received the promise and the blessing of Abraham, we know that we've received that too, God, that we are part of that plan um, to just bless the world, Lord. I thank you that you're using us in that today. I thank you that part of that can even be what we're studying tonight with apologetics and talking about just in these accounts how some things went wrong and some things went right and how some of these same things that, that were going on back then are present today. Things like a sowing and reaping, something the world would give another name. God, I thank you we know the truth about it and I pray that part of, of our mission, part of our purpose in being alive and here and present today is to be a blessing to the world as part of that blessing of Abraham. And so, God, I thank you that you've chosen us to be part of that in this time and in this hour. And I thank you that you have equipped us tonight with the truth and with your word that we can go with the best tool that there is, with the sword of the Spirit, with the truth, to go and share with people the gospel, go and share the truth with them, to lead in conversation as you, Holy Spirit, would lead us to show them the light of the gospel, to, to show them your goodness and your truth, something the world world cannot give them. God, I pray that people would just come to know you as we speak these things and carry them with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. We're thankful and we love you. Amen? Amen. 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 We'll go and be blessed tonight. Thank you for joining us for Answers in Genesis. See you next Wednesday or Sunday, both.